Just how do you manage a revolution? I'm Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. AI is revolutionizing the healthcare industry. How do we manage this revolution? I'm joined today by Celeste Mosby, Senior Vice President and General Manager of Cineos Health's Learning Solutions. Revolution management, learning and change in the new world of work is one of this year's top health trends published by Cineos Health. Managing the healthcare revolution today on the Cineos Health Podcast. Celeste Mosby, welcome back to the Cineos Health Podcast. Thank you for having me today. The world has been changing a lot, and you are head of learning solutions at Cineos Health. You train those in the entire pharma industry over and over again, and things are changing so quickly. How do you keep up? Well, that's the million dollar question. I would say about five years ago, if you had asked that question, we were keeping up quite readily because what we were doing in the industry was outpacing technology, transformation, data. And now it's quite the reverse. Data and technology and AI and all those things are impacting our world so drastically. And it looks one way today and another way five days from now. And so what we're trying to do in our space around training transformation and the evolution of communicating to the workforce, how they stay true to themselves as human to human interaction, yet how they can use data and technology to help them on the job is definitely for those in the role of what we do, a monumental task. And I would say it's just having thought leaders on your team that are staying well above and in front of the way things are evolving so that we know what to put in place and how to be forward thinking, I would say. If I think myself, Celeste, on what happened in COVID and then how the business has changed in pharma today, a lot changed, but it wasn't because technology was suddenly different. It's because people suddenly got a lot of experience using the darn thing. Video conference technology did get better. Don't get me wrong, it did get better. But the biggest change was a social change. We got used to it. We started using it. And once we became comfortable with it, then the world changed. Is that what you're seeing or is it something different this time? Yes, you're so right. I think the industry wanted to make this change in how they touch HCPs, how they touch patients. For us back in COVID, it seemed like it was gonna be another 10 years out. During COVID, that changed a lot for us because we all started to utilize technology to interact and engage each other. And that's including a lot of the patients that went into clinical trials and a lot of the interaction with field teams and HCPs. So what that did was made people, they had to feel more comfortable with technology. They had to feel more comfortable with how that interaction was. So now I would say it is a little easier to get in front of people and say, you're going to do things digitally and you're going to do things virtually. I will say that there's still some, we call it digital trust. (laughs) And so what that is, is the right communication, the right training, the right insights that tell people this communication virtually, digitally, or face-to-face is working, then they're really up for it. And I see people open to change but we can't just tell them to do it. We have to make sure that we are teaching and training them how to do it well. And then we see better results. So if we're talking about AI, which everyone's talking about AI, 
And in a few years, probably we won't be talking about AI any more than we talk about email. It's just something you use at some point. I'm wondering and a little bit worried, Celeste, if this time it's different in a bad way. And here's the bad way. It's not the it's not the Terminator 2 bad way. I'm talking about the bad way for getting adoption within a company, especially a pharma company. With many of the technologies that we had, things like video conferencing, once those at the top used it, then it tended to filter down. You became comfortable at the top and then the meetings at the top started to become distance meetings and then other people used them and then everyone uses them. If we're talking about doctors and people in pharma, those are the last ones I would expect to be using chat GPT or AI. Are we thinking about how we get adoption through organizations or even something like with physicians when, gosh, getting a physician to use a computer was hard? Yes, it's true. I think right now the pharmaceutical and healthcare and medical industries are so ready for this transformation. I would not have said that at all, Jeff, five years ago. But I think everyone is seeing that there's so much potential for really impacting patient care. Like when we think about why we do what we do in all of our roles across the healthcare industry, if you think about it at the end of the day, we feel good about the impact we're having on bringing better medicine and innovative medicine to patients. So a lot of times now when I speak to these top thought leaders in medicine, I was just talking to the head of neurology at a really big institution in Boston, and she also leads research at Harvard. Her point was that it's ridiculous that there's 500 patients waiting to see her. Her goal in life is to use technology and AI to get to some of these patients as they're waiting to see her. AI is converting some of the insights and helping medical teams with medical practice so they can play a role in intersecting and treating these patients quicker while they're waiting maybe to see some of the thought leaders in medicine. It's kind of a little bit of emotive balance around people realizing that we can make a difference with technology as long as we are accountable, we build trust with patients and healthcare provider teams, and we show them results and use cases. That's why you're seeing so many healthcare providers using this. Jeff, quite frankly, they're taking electronic health records now, and they're building in these platforms, AI chatbots, to actually talk to patients based on what their records are saying. They're pushing them to education. They're pushing to AI chatbots. They're pushing them to other healthcare providers like nurses and PAs while they're waiting to see the physician. That's why this is so exciting. You're comforting me that perhaps those at the top doctors and physicians in the cases of certain healthcare systems and within pharma with the C-suite, that they're at least highly interested in AI. And in the case of physicians, they have a pain point. Their time is overwhelmed. So they would like to offload some of the work that they do to AI. There is a clear use case. Are you seeing that clear use case in pharma? Are you being asked to train on that? Or is it too early yet to be asked to be training on AI? (laughs) We are. And we had to really jump on that right away because what was happening across the pharma industry, to your question, was people were doing it anyway. If you don't train them, they're not doing it effectively, efficiently, and compliantly. They're just doing it. 
<laughs> so if you train folks on, for instance, generative AI is the thing that gets people to some of those things that helps them get to knowledge a lot quicker. But if you are leaving some of those things out in the open AI that you shouldn't be, that's a bad thing. So if you teach people how to do it, what we're finding is that when we put, say, CRAs, investigators, field teams on the medical and commercial side into practical application about how to use generative AI, people are feeling much more comfortable that they're doing it the right way. They're doing it a safe way. They're not going to get in trouble. And quite frankly, some of the outputs are helping ease the time to proficiency for what they do. So if they're preparing to talk to a key opinion leader, they're going with information and insights that can better help. Technology is really helping them come up with immersive application to use cases quicker than they ever have before. So we're building AI into a lot of platforms. We're building AI into a lot of learning platforms to push people to recommendation engines based on what insights are saying. So there is no way around not teaching people how to use AI because that adoption and that trust goes up tenfold when we do. It does strike me, Celeste, as you're talking through this, that the C-suite, even though they may not be asking AI to answer any of their questions, they are being asked questions about AI. And the two questions that I understand they're being asked, because I hear it, number one, what are you doing about AI? That's a clear question being asked at every investor conference. They're asking that question of those in their organization. Number two, how do you keep AI from letting the rest of the world know what you're doing? Essentially, how do you keep AI from doing the wrong thing. That's one example. Another really important example in patient care, how do you keep AI from telling the patient to do something completely stupid, wrong, etc.? Yeah. When patients or physicians or anyone that's a healthcare provider goes out to the open AI environment, there's the chance of that, right, Jeff? Because there's a term called hallucinations. Things come back because AI is picking from so many different data sources in the open AI environment. And that's why you'll see in healthcare and in medical environments and for patients and healthcare teams, we are refining the search features for them with AI. We're either curating the content that they should be looking at that's within the AI platform, or we are looking at the data analogs that are on the back end and how those need to come together to make those hallucinations either go away 100% or there's less of a chance that there's going to be a hallucination that says something crazy. Now, on the other end of this, we have to remember that human-to-human contact and humans actually looking at the insights to say this makes sense cannot go away. (laughs) What AI has done for us is lessen the time to knowledge and proficiency of getting the right insights, but it still needs the human eye to say, oh, this makes total sense and checking it against other data sources and things like that. And that's why we're opening up a lot of platforms so that we're pulling from many trusted data sources to validate what AI is saying, if that makes sense. It does. And is that what we're also seeing training on, or if we're not, shouldn't we be seeing it where we get those who are already experienced people, those that are experts in their field that can tell a hallucination is a hallucination. 
they are the ones that need some training on how do you get the best out of AI? How do you catch what's going on? Be aware of catching what's going on. We know how to do this when we're working with consulting. If I'm working with a new associate consultant, I expect a certain error level. And I know what errors to look out for, at least from experience I do. I don't have the same sense of how to find an error within chatbots. And when I've tested them, some of them, they get things wrong, but you can tell that they're not sure that they get things wrong. And others are complete and confident idiots. (laughs) Yes. If you look at the jobs that are out there right now, and people are really, really nervous that they're going to lose their job to AI. That's not what they should be nervous about. What's going to happen is some of the jobs that used to do some of the things that AI is doing now, it's our job across the industry on the medical side of the industry to teach people now how to do the jobs of that next level. To your point, you're synthesizing the data that AI is giving you now. So we've been able to lower the amount of jobs we need there, but the amount of jobs that are needed at that next level to synthesize the insights is amazing. So it's up to us to build career pathing and training for those that are in roles so they see the advantage of where they could go. If you look at the large language models that are out there right now, KOLs, payers, HCPs, they're using them already. They're using these models. They are using personalized AI tools already. And like I mentioned before, a lot of HCPs The first thing they're going to ask people that are coming in from pharma to see how they can add value is, how can you help us understand and train us on how to use these better? Are there models that you guys have in pharma or platforms that can help us synthesize good data? And what are we doing when it comes to our patients? How do we train our patients and educate our patients on how to rely on good generative AI research and data where they haven't had to do that before? It's like this cascade of everyone in the industry. And I got to be honest, that's what I'm most excited about. I've been in the industry a long time, and I will tell you that this is the most fun I've ever had around understanding how to use data as a benefit to what we're trying to do around the whole care model in the industry. It's pretty exciting. And is it changing your job? It is, drastically, drastically. A lot of what we deliver from a training perspective was a lot around knowledge. There was about 20, 30% knowledge when you think of the things we roll out. 70% is application and getting people really immersed in, in experiential simulated environments so that they understand how to use it effectively. Before, they just kind of believe what we said. and Now it's like, no, technology is something where people have got to get their hands a little dirty with it. And they have to feel, I use this word a lot, they have to feel empowered and they have to feel accountable about what's the ROI for me to sign up and do this, right? And so we're changing a little bit around how we measure the impact of training and especially the training we do with more digital and data-driven tools I've never seen a topic evolve as quickly as I have with AI. And I've been in this industry, I'm going to give a little now, close to 30 years. And that's a lot to say. And I've seen a lot. So I don't think it's slowing up. I think to what you said, though, Jeff, kind of the sexy term AI is going to go away a little. And it's just going to become part of our DNA and our fabric of how we 
run our lives, whether it's our personal lives or our professional lives. Well, Celeste Mosby, it's been a pleasure talking to you again. We've learned a lot. Thank you for joining us on the Cineo South podcast. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Jeff. Celeste Mosby's article, Revolution Management, Learning and Change in the New World of Work, can be found in Cineos Health's 2024 Health Trends. A link is in our show notes. That's all for today's episode of the Cineos Health Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. If you want to talk through a hard decision you're making at your life sciences company, you may email me at podcast at cineoshealth.com. For access to more future-focused, actionable life sciences insights, visit the Cineos Health Insights Hub at insightshub.health. Cineos Health, shortening the distance from lab to life.